and we're going to talk about the law, our guardian until. Uh, the law, our guardian until. There is um, uh, a truth that the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, the Word of God, the Bible says the Word of God teaches, the Word of God heals, the Word of God delivers, the Word of God washes, the Word of God is so much connected to the Word of God, and we really need to understand what the Word of God says. And although I'm very interested in what other people think about things, what they think about things, including myself, never trumps the Word of God. You know, we always go to the Word of God. One of the advantages I had as talking to Darlene about this the other day is I, I was raised in a church that wasn't real dogmatic about any particular doctrine. You know how sometimes you're raised in a church that this is the way it is. And, and uh, so I, I could go to the Word and say I don't have to defend, you know, my pet doctrine that I was raised with. I just want to see what the Word of God says about it. What does the Word of God teach about it? And so I'm sure none of us do that flawlessly, but that's always our goal to make sure <clears throat> that we understand the Word of God thoroughly. Uh, Darlene and I uh, hosted TBN for 10 or 20, probably 20 years, and we had this one couple on that I remember that specifically relates to today's topic, and they had been church-going people, and uh, I mean, not like every Sunday people, but they weren't Christmas and Easter people either. They probably went 12, 15 times a, a year to church, and, and they had a basic love for God and for the church and for scripture, and a, a cult group came to their home, now, now a very... Um, Socially, and our culture accepts this cult, but it's still a cult nonetheless. Not an old cult where they're worshiping Satan and sacrificing animals, but a cult where they don't really teach the true gospel. And, but wonderful, loving people, and so they came to their home and began to say, the scripture says this, the scripture says this, the scripture says that. Now, they came out of that after many years because they started to really learn what the scripture actually said. But what they said stuck with me so strong. They said, the, the number one feeder the number one resource for cults are church-going people who don't know the scripture well. Because when they come in and they open up and they show the Bible here, the Bible there, the Bible says this, scripture says that, they go, wow, this is the scripture. And so they get drawn away in it. But there's something in scripture called the whole counsel of God. So you need to understand all of that. And we're going to look at those things today. And we're going to talk about the law, our guardian, until. Now, the law... In the Old Testament, God established covenants with people. And they were, um, well, let's look at the definition of a covenant. Uh, a covenant is two or more parties who come together to make a contract. They're making an agreement. They're agreeing on promises, stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. So th these are legal binding contracts. And this is the basic definition of a biblical covenant anyway. And so God would meet with people and make covenants. And there would be laws and rules and regulations and procedures and principles and promises and all those things woven throughout the covenant. There's about five, there actually is five covenants mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, he had a covenant with Noah, which was the very first covenant. He had a covenant with uh, Abraham, that was the second covenant. He had a covenant with Moses, where the law was given, often called the Mosaic Covenant. And um, he had a covenant with David, King David. And I think it's Jeremiah mentions this new covenant, which Jesus talks about at the Last Supper, this new covenant in his blood. And we'll celebrate that next week as we have communion together. And so in this covenant, there's these rules, there's laws, these regulations, these stipulations, these promises that we're supposed to walk in. And so as we start studying covenants, and we, we look at that, and again, the covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, is like the third covenant that, he, that God established. 
as we start looking at this, it's very fascinating to study the law and the principles, Noah's covenant, Abraham's covenant, all the covenants, Davidic covenant, all those, very fascinating. But sometimes we're not careful, we get drawn in and maybe a little too infatuated with it. And so we say, I'm going to put this in my life and that in my life and this in my life. And we've got to be very, very careful with that. And so we're going to look, what does the scripture say? Again, I value what my friends say, I value what preachers that I respect say, I value what commentators say and commentaries, but I can tell you, Nothing usurps authority over just what does the Bible say. And the Bible will often prove the Bible. Now, again, I'm all for reading, studying, but ultimately the Bible's the answer. So we're, we're going to look at this. There's always and always has been folks that want to come along and mingle in the law with our faith. Always has happened. Happened in the Apostle Paul ran into it all the time. These people who want to say, we need to do this and we need to do that on top of Jesus. So these covenants were given to the Jewish people, the the Mosaic covenant uh, was given to the Jewish people. And I want you to hear that, it was given to the Jewish people. I'm going to guess there's probably not a Jewish person, you know, naturally speaking, a Jewish person in this room today. Now there might be, there might be one or two. And there might be somebody that said, hey, I did a genealogy and my great, 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 great grandfather was Jewish. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that you're really born Jewish you have lived Jewish, you have had a Jewish life. These, these laws were given to the Jewish people. And we want to talk today, what, what do they have to do with our lives as Gentile? Gentiles are non-Jewish people, which, again, I assume probably all of us here are Gentiles. What do they have to do with us? The Mosaic Covenant was given specifically to the Jewish people and was made up of the Ten Commandments. It was made up of, of ordinances, which are just laws and rules. It was made up of of a worship system, uh, the priests, the tabernacle, uh, festivals, feast days, Sabbath days, all kinds of things, different kinds of offerings that they would make. It was all set up in the Jewish covenant. Now, this very important thing, now I know I'm teaching some today, and I'm sorry, I know some of you are like, your eyes glaze over when teaching happens too much, but, but hang with me here, because this is really valuable for you. There are two types of laws that God governs the world by. The first one, and I'm serious, this is very important for you understanding this, is universal laws. There are universal laws, which means they are laws that everyone on planet Earth, regardless of their nationality, their ethnicity, their religion, whatever, they they have no excuse. God wants everyone to obey universal laws. The Ten Commandments are actually universal laws. They're universal laws. God doesn't care if you're an atheist. He, well, he cares if you're an atheist, but if you're an atheist, you, you still, you say, well, I'm not under any law. I'm not religious. Well, there is a Ten Commandments that says you're not supposed to murder. That's, that's still a law. You're not supposed to steal. You're not supposed to lie and get people in trouble. You're not supposed to do those things. Those are universal laws. And then there are also Jewish-specific laws. Now, the reason this is important is because in our culture, what will happen is, the culture wants to live however it wants to live, and always has. It's apart from God. It wants to live, wants to indulge a sinful nature however it wants to. So the culture comes, and they say, I'm going to live this way. And we say, well, that's not right, because the Bible says not to live that way. And if they want to try to convince you about the Bible, they'll say, but the Bible also says that you're not supposed to eat pork. And you just wolf down a pulled pork sandwich, and now you're saying... I can do that, but you can't do this. 
what they're trying to do is they're trying to take a, they're trying to violate a universal law and justify it by saying you violate Jewish specific laws. First of all, you're probably not Jewish and you're not bound by those laws that are Jewish specific. God gave those Jewish specific laws to the Jewish people that all the world around them would know they are different. They're different from the rest of the world. And the spiritual principle that's in those are still true today, but not the natural principles. For instance, the Jewish people, there's actually 613 laws. 613. You know, some people think the Ten Commandments too many. Uh, 613 Jewish laws. One of the Jewish laws is that you cannot wear a garment that has two different materials in it. That's a Jewish law. A, Jew, a good Jewish person will not have a garment with mixed materials in it. I thought, well, I'll use my shirt as an example. But it didn't work because it's 100% cotton. The, the Jewish person could wear this shirt. But then I looked to, to this. And this jacket, according to the label, is 52% uh, silk and 48% wool. This would be law-breaking for me to wear this jacket because I now have two materials in a garment. That was against Jewish law. They could not sow two crops in a field. Now, let me tell you what the beautiful spiritual principle of that is. What God was saying to the Jewish people in these natural things is we don't mix God and the world. We don't mix God and the world. That's a principle that I think we should take. How many Christians are saying, I'm going to live for Jesus on Sunday morning, but Monday through Saturday is mine? And if the world watched you, they would say, hmm, you think like the world, you act like the world, you, you tell the same jokes the world has, you have the same priorities, everything about your life looks very worldly. You haven't separated. It doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we don't have goals. It doesn't mean we can't tell a joke. It doesn't mean we can't go to a clean movie. It doesn't mean that. We're in the world. We're not of the world. But when, when, when I tell you a joke, if it's a dirty, nasty joke, then I haven't separated myself. I haven't separated from the world. I'm living like the world. That doesn't mean that if you've told one that you're not a believer, but I'm saying God said, I, want, I don't want to mingle your spirituality with the sinfulness of this world. So there's a good lesson to be learned there, but probably most of you are violating the dress rule, the cloth rule today, and have violated a lot of those things. So the reason that's important, again, is because people in the world who want to live sinfully We'll try to justify breaking universal laws because you break Jewish-specific laws. You may have had a wonderful lobster meal. That was forbidden for the Jews. They cannot eat shellfish. They can't eat catfish. If you're here today and you love catfish, you would be a really, really bad Jew. You would really, that wouldn't be good. So uh, those are Jewish-specific laws. So what's the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to reveal sin and to reveal our need for a Savior. Romans 4.15 says that the law brings what? Death and wrath. It brings wrath. It brings death. It, now, let me ask you this. Why would you ever want that? Why would you want that? For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. Now, that's a weird saying, but it basically says this. Where there's no law... Nobody's breaking the law. Think about that. If tomorrow you woke up and there were no laws in the land whatsoever, they'd all been removed, you could go in your neighbor's home, you could murder them all and steal all their stuff, and no one could arrest you. Why? Because there's no law. Would you still be sinning if you did that? Yes. Would you still be accountable before God? Yes. 
Because even when there was no law, God judged sin. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain killed Abel, and there was no law. The Ten Commandments weren't there that said, Thou shalt not murder. God still held him accountable for that, so it was sin. And God said sin reigned and, and death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses when the law was given, even though they weren't actually breaking rules because there weren't any rules yet given. Are you with me? Okay. Just be careful you don't glaze over. So where there's no law, you can't break it. I don't know if it's still this way, but I've heard that in Germany there's a highway or an interstate called the Autobahn. I've heard there's no speed limit on it. I don't know if that's still true or not. But if that's still true, you can't get arrested on there for speeding. There's no law against it. So you want to go 100, you want to go 200, you got something that'll go 250, you can do it. There's no law. You can't do that here because there's a law against that. Okay. So the law reveals our sinfulness and then it's designed, I want to tell you what the law is designed to do. It's designed to crush all hope. It's designed for you to go, I'm doomed. I'm done for. Remember when Paul cried out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? There was no one to deliver him except Jesus. He said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, verse Romans 5.20 says, the law was brought so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So obviously, if there were no laws and then you created a bunch of laws, all of a sudden, Moses comes, and when all the dust settles in those first five books of the Bible, we've got 613 laws. You didn't even know you were that bad of a lawbreaker until you read through the list. You go, yeah, I do that, I do that, I do this, I do that. You went, man, I thought I was doing pretty good until I read this list of laws. I'm breaking like most of them on here. So you became a lawbreaker. Now, the scripture clearly tells us if you want to come under the law and be justified by the law, you have to keep everyone every time. Everyone every time. If there's 613 laws and you break one, guess what you are? A lawbreaker. You've got to keep all of them to not be a lawbreaker. And so it's a very, very tough road to keep. So I want to make this clear. The law brings wrath. The law doesn't bring freedom. The law doesn't bring joy. The law doesn't make us more spiritual. The law doesn't make us like Jesus. The Bible teaches, this is the Bible, the Bible teaches that the law brings wrath. And so it is designed to literally bring to my attention that I am an awful lawbreaker. I am a sinner. And then I look around for, for a solution for it. If I'm a Jewish person, the only solution I can find is being better at keeping the law. And yet I know I'm not doing too good at it, and I'm probably not going to get any better at it. So it's designed for you to say, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And then it points us to Jesus. Now, a big chunk of the New Testament was written by this very, very Jewish guy. Very, very Jewish guy. His name's Paul. And Paul uh, was a, a, a Jewish person who thought he was doing good, trying to crush this church, who loved Jesus, and he met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he has a supernatural encounter with God. He becomes a believer, and he, beca he begins to evangelize the world around him. And this very Jewish guy defines himself and describes himself as this, Philippians 3, 5 through 7. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I believe he started out with that for two reasons. One is, that is the sign of the Jewish male. That's the sign of the covenant, circumcision. 
I was circumcised at eight days old. I think there's another thing he wants us to know. I've been keeping the law since I was eight days old. That's how long I've been at this. I've been keeping the law since I was eight days old. When I was eight days old, I was circumcised. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. Again, not my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was, in Israel, was a Hebrew. And a member of the tribe of Benjamin, which was one of the tribes of Israel. A real Hebrew, if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish laws. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness... I obeyed the law without fault. Every time I read that, I say, oh, did you really? I obeyed the law without fault. Now, it's interesting because he's just listed everything that makes him an awesome Jewish person. And then he says this. This is so crazy. Then he writes these words. I once thought these things were valuable. What things? Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, strictly uh, adhering to the law. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them, does anybody see the next word? I now consider them worthless. This is a very Jewish person who loves the Jewish heritage, but he says it's worthless. It's worthless because of what Christ has done. It's worthless. The King James, I think, says it like this. And all these things I consider dung. Y'all know what dung is? All these things I consider dung compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Wow. You know what he, he had to think? He had to think to himself, I've done all these things out of a heart that wanted to please God, and none have made me right with God. And there was some old, filthy, nasty, dirty sinner, a Gentile, a whoremonger, a liar, a murderer, a thief, and a cheat, who hears the gospel message, gives his life to Jesus, and is gloriously saved and heaven-bound. He said, guess what? We're on the same page now. We came from very different angles, but we're both on the same page. So all that I did was worthless compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And it's transforming power. So this deeply Jewish guy is leading Gentiles, non-Jews. That's what we are, non-Jewish people. Again, you may be a Jew here, but most of us are Gentiles, non-Jewish people. He's leading these non-Jewish people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And everywhere he goes and leads people and establishes churches and does the back-breaking sweat and tears of planting churches and winning people to Jesus. He leaves and goes to plant another church, and right behind him comes a group of people who say, wow, you know, we're so happy that Paul established this church. We're so happy that you found faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is awesome. But I want to tell you some things that Paul didn't let you in on. I want, I want to make this great church better. And here's how we're going to do it. You're going to continue to love Jesus and give your heart to him, and you're going to be circumcised, and you're going to obey the Jewish law. Because Jesus and circumcision and the Jewish law, that's real salvation. Well, that was very frustrating to Paul. And so Paul began to argue with them about that, and they wouldn't believe him. So he would flat say, you guys are wrong. 
And at one point, this is how I picture it. Scripture does not say this. This is how I picture it. I picture Paul going to all the people who are saying it's Jesus and circumcision and the law, and he goes to them and says, this is my, my picture, not the Scripture. I picture him saying, okay, I guess I'm not qualified enough to teach this. I mean, even though I'm all these things I just said, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew if you've ever seen one, even though I have all these qualifications, even though I was trained in the truth by the resurrected Jesus, that's a pretty good teacher, the resurrected Jesus trained Paul. He said, I guess I'm not good enough, so let's go back to Jerusalem and we'll confer with the disciples who were with him from the beginning. And we'll see what they say. I will submit and humble myself to whatever the council of the, of the elders and the apostles and disciples say. And so that's what they do. And in Acts 15, when they arrive in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But, verse 5, but some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, now remember, that's what Paul had been, stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. Now I want you to know this. Everyone on that board is Jewish. Okay? Everyone on the board of apostles is Jewish. And it says that they met for this and it says at the meeting after a long discussion Peter stood up to address them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. The mark of a Jew was circumcision. The mark of a believer is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that there's no longer a circumcision of the flesh made by human hands, but a circumcision by God, a circumcision of the heart, and that God has deposited and sealed us with his Holy Spirit. And so that's the sign of the believer, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And then Peter goes on to say, he made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles. For he cleansed their hearts through what? Faith. So why are you now challenging God? Here's the thing I'm very concerned about for those who do this. Depending upon your translation, why are you testing God? Why are you tempting God? Why are you trying God? Why are you challenging God? This, this doctrine that you're giving is a challenge to God. You're basically saying, God, I don't think you did this right. I don't accept how you did it. I got a better plan. Can you imagine investing your entire life like Paul did following the Jewish principles and just saying, I don't have to do that? that? That wasn't what saved me? I mean, these people have to feel incredibly invested in their Jewishness, in their heritage. Which, by the way, Paul teaches in a later places, there's nothing wrong with being proud of your heritage and what all came out of the Jewish people. But we're talking about how to be saved, born again, and go to heaven. And so they were very focused on, we, surely we haven't been wasting our time with all this, so they have to do it too. But here Peter's saying, you're challenging God by burdening, did you catch that word? Burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke. A yoke is a harness that gets locked around your neck, and it's made for 
pulling a burden, that's a load is called a burden. So they would take an ox or a horse and they would put a yoke on its neck and it might be pulling a plow or it might be pulling a, a, a wagon full of stuff. That's, that's called the burden. And it would pull that and he said, you're challenging God, you're testing God, you're trying God, you're tempting God, and you're asking him to put a yoke upon the Gentiles, a burden upon them, a yoke upon their neck that we, Peter was saying, look around this room at all of us Jewish people. We haven't been able to keep that law. Neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. Now let's just be thinking, people. Why in the world would you want to place something on someone that you and everybody you've ever known could never do? Why? Well, if you do that, it will simply frustrate them, which is exactly what the law was designed to do. But salvation in Christ isn't designed to frustrate you. It's designed to free you, to liberate you, to give you hope and joy and peace. But the law brings wrath, it brings death, it brings a burden, and, and you end up frustrated because you can't do it. And one of my most heartbreaking things I remember was sharing Christ with someone, me and a buddy were, and he said this, and I knew exactly what he was meaning. We talked to him about coming to the Lord Jesus, and he said, I tried that, but I couldn't keep the pace. You know what I knew? Somebody had put a burden upon him and wrapped his neck in a yoke and he said I can't do it I can't do it I'm frustrated I quit I give up which again I want to tell you that's what the law was designed to do that we would come to a place where he say I give I can't do it I can't save myself I need a savior and Jesus is the answer so why would you want to put a yoke that we, either need nor, we nor our ancestors were able to bear. And then Peter says, we believe that we all are saved the same way, Jew and Gentile alike. We are all saved by the undeserving grace of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Galatians 3, 24. So the law was our guardian until. The law was our guardian until. So the law and the guardian is the same thing in this sentence. The law was a guardian, our guardian, until Christ came, until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Who was the guardian? The law. We're no longer under the law. We're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Man, that's good news. Although, to me, the most exciting message will be next week where we talk about the covenant of faith and the covenant of belief, I still want to be happy. And I don't live under that. I don't live under that. Praise the Lord. And we'll deal next week for those of you who are out there going, so, but, but we've got to behave, don't we? Yes, we are called to behave. We are called to live upright and holy lives. We are called to do that. But the law will never get you to do it. In fact, Paul said that if it wasn't for the law, he wouldn't have known what coveting was. But when he read that he shouldn't covet, it worked all kinds of coveting desires in him. The law, we've, we've got so many examples of that. The, my favorite one that I share with you is there's a little hotel and it's built along the edge of the water. Uh, true story. And a few times a year, people try to fish off their balcony because it's so close to the water. 
And of course, the hotel management said, I really don't like hooks and lures swinging down with the people on the balcony below or a fish smacking somebody in the face while they're trying to have their morning cup of coffee. So they said, you know, they always tell me you can't do that. So they decided instead of telling people, you know, half a dozen times a year you can't fish off the balcony, they would post the signs. Well, it went from telling a half a dozen people a year to about a half a dozen people a week. Because when they saw the sign, well, I never thought about that. I could fish off the balcony. And that, that, that law worked all manner of desire to fish off the balcony. I remember I was walking along with one of my brothers who were remain nameless uh, to protect the guilty. But anyway, Tony was walking along, and uh, he, there was a, a piece of, we were just kids, you know how kids are. There was this fresh concrete. We were walking into the hospital in Columbus, India, and it said, fresh cement, you know, stay off, you know, like that. And he could read, and he walked up, and he went, and put his foot in there, and just put a footprint. The, he would not have stepped in that if that sign hadn't told him, don't step in this. There's something about, well, I just got to put my foot in there then. Yeah. So the law works all kinds of manner of desire to break the law and violate the law. So the, the sin keeps increasing, but thanks be to God, where sin increases, grace does all the more increase and abound. So Paul ran into this problem. He ran into this problem of people that he established in Jesus. They were getting excited. They were moving forward. They were making things happen. Glorious things were going on. And then that group of people would come in behind and teach Jesus is wonderful, but it's Jesus and circumcision and the law. This happened everywhere he went. Rome, Philippi, Ephesus, Galatia. You know, there's a passage where it said that Paul had a thorn in his flesh, and he asked God to take it away from him three times. Many, many people say that was a physical ailment. It could have been. I don't know. We can argue about that all over the place. But I read something one time. I said, that really makes more sense to me because, first of all, when you read Old Testament writings, um, he would have been familiar with this phrase. The Philistines were a thorn in the flesh, that's how it was described, to the Jews, and a prick in their eye. It didn't mean they made us physically sick or poked me in the eye. That, that's just like, you've, you've, we've heard this saying for you're a pain in my side. Um, that's just a saying. And this author, which made the most sense to me, said he believed this was what Paul was asking for. Would you please, God help me. I go preach freedom in Jesus, and somebody comes along behind me and preaches, it's Jesus and the law. That very well could have been the thorn in his flesh and the prick in his eye. So he's talking to these Galatians, and he's about at wit's end, it appears like to me. He gets to the Galatians, Galatians 3, 5, and says, I ask you again, that's again, I've covered this with you before, I'm going to ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you? Just stop right there for a second. That's a good church. That's a good church. God's given his Holy Spirit, he's working miracles among them. I mean, that's what we want as a church, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, for miracles to happen among us. And he says, does God give you the Holy Spirit to work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. So Paul's about to blow a gasket. You may say, how do you know that? From what he writes about these people who are Jesus plus the law people. Listen to what he writes. 
why don't these agitators, Galatians 5.12, why don't these agitators, troublemakers, obsessed as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? I remember the first time I read that, I said, there's a little tension going on here. There's a little frustration here. And there's an exclamation point. So he's like, ah! Well, let this last verse sink in deeply, if you can get past that one. Romans 3.20. This is the Bible. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his or God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. No one, no one, no one, no one, no one will ever be made right by keeping Jewish law. Jewish people will not be made right by keeping Jewish law. Peter got rebuked by Paul one time because he got a little, oh, I'm hanging around Jewish people, I better start following my Jewish rules. And Paul called him out in public and said, you hypocrite. He said, you're not living like a Jew. Think about this. Peter, Jesus is one of Jesus' right-hand men. You're not living like a Jew. But now you're getting all hypocritical when there's a few Jews around and said, this isn't what it's about. If the law is a burden, if the law is a yoke, if the law is designed to frustrate us, if the law is designed to break us to where we just give up and say, what must I do? Then why would you want to put it on anybody? Jesus warned that. He said, be very careful about these Pharisees. He said, they will tie burdens upon your back that they were, are not willing to lift a finger to help you bear. And when they're done with you, you'll be twice the son of hell that they are. Wow, that's some pretty strong words from Jesus and strong words from Paul. So let's rejoice that this isn't the system that we're under. And again, for those of you who say, but aren't we supposed to live right? Absolutely we're supposed to live right. The law itself isn't even evil. There's nothing wrong with the rules of the law. We just can't keep it. For what the law could not do, because of the weakness of our flesh, this is what the scripture says, for what the law could not do, because of the weakness of our flesh, God did. By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. I love this line. So that all the righteous requirements of the law, here's what I love about, might be fully met in us through Jesus. They've all been met. Jesus met every one of them. He's the guy that kept every legitimate real law and he kept them for us and all the righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in us. We couldn't do it in our own flesh, but what we couldn't do, Jesus did. So we can have eternal life.